thank you so much that your children are all gathered here, and we're thankful for the handbells, we're thankful for the choir, we're thankful for the parents that, that go through all this work to get their kids to school and to get them to practice. And so, Father, now we pray that as we just spend a few moments in the Word, that you would give us a clear understanding of where you are wanting us to, what you're wanting us to see. And we ask that you use this time to transform our hearts as we read this Word. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. This morning, we are on part two of our sermon series that we have titled Sins of Our Fathers and One Mother. And one of the things we're doing during this time of leading up to Easter or the Resurrection Sunday, we're looking at Old Testament characters and some of the flaws, some of the sins that they've committed and how we can learn from them. But one of the things as a pastor, when I come across some of these stories in the Bible, I sometimes think that Instead of, instead of titling this sermon series, Sins of Our Fathers, I should have titled it Rated R. Because if you've read the Bible, and I'm sure most of you have, you would find that there are some stories in the Bible that you kind of are like, I can't preach that story. Or is there another word I can use for that word? Like I struggle with this all the time. Because for adults, it's like, okay, but but sometimes when we have kids in the, in, the, in, the, in the building, it's like, ah, how do I make this less gory, less real? But I guess um, if Hollywood can do it, then we can do it here at church as well. And so we, we try to stick as close to the biblical narrative as possible. This morning, we're looking at the second kind of story in the Bible. Last week, we looked at Adam and Eve and kind of the sin of wanting to be like God and how they chose to find life and happiness apart from the plan and harmony that God wanted for them. And so this week, we look at their children, and we look at the story of Cain and Abel. And here's where the story begins. Now the man, Adam, knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have produced a man with the help of the Lord. Next she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a tiller of the ground. So one of the first things that jumps out at us in this story is who is the firstborn? Cain. And in ancient times, it was very important, the birth order, that, like how you, the order of birth made a big difference. So if you were the firstborn, if you were the eldest, especially male child, then you benefited from the blessing of your family. So when your father passed away, you, in essence, would inherit all of his land, his money, his livestock. Everything that was the father's would be given to the eldest son. So the eldest son always had this prominence. They were almost like a step above everyone else. But one of the clever things that we find in the scriptures and in these stories is that just because the eldest son had that position didn't necessarily mean that God put all of his hope in the oldest son. Instead, what we find is that even though the eldest sons in, in a lot of these stories had that birthright, so to speak, God often chose to work through some of the younger brothers, which is a reminder for us today that it doesn't matter where you come from, it doesn't matter your past, and it doesn't matter who you are or what family you're born into, God has not X'd you out of his plan for, it, for, for this world. Instead, what we find is that God chooses to work with even the youngest in families. So let's jump into this story. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering, or a minha, that's the Hebrew word for offering here, of the fruit of the ground. Some Bible translations say that Cain brought some of the fruit of the ground. 
Abel, for his part, brought of the firstlings of his flock, their fat portions. Now the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. Kind of the popular understanding, the traditional understanding of this, is that the reason that God chose Abel's offering over Cain's offering is because Abel's offering was a blood sacrifice. And, and what we kind of have understood is that something has to die in order to atone for our sins. And that's been the popular understanding of this. But I would caution us to think too much about this part of the story. Sometimes what we do in the Bible is we kind of come to this detail and we want to know everything about it. But see, the Bible doesn't tell us. All the Bible tells us is that both brothers brought an offering to the Lord. Abel's what seemed to be the choice, seemed to be the best, the firstlings, the first fruits of everything that God has given him. And Cain, we will see, brings some of what he has. See, the word minha in the Hebrew, it's just an offering. It could be a grain offering. It could be a vegetable offering. It could be an animal offering. It could be all sorts of offerings. And so here in, in this story, Moses doesn't specify which offering. So we can't read too much into whether it was a blood sacrifice or not, but what we can see is that one brother, Abel, he brings the very best that he has, and he offers it to God, and Cain only brings what he is willing to part with. So you must be asking, well, we don't offer sacrifices anymore, pastor. What does this have to do with us living in 2015? So if we pause and we look at the story, what this story is really about is about worship. How do you worship? Are you worshiping because you feel like if you sing louder or if you come to church 52 weeks out of the year, do you worship because you feel like if you do all of this, then God will take care of you? Or are you worshiping simply because you want to lift up your voice and be thankful for all that God has done for you? Because there are two kinds of worships here. There is Abel's worship where he sees that everything that he has been given, all of the work of his hands is really a gift from God. And his brother Cain, he sees it as all of the work that I have done, I have done this, I have worked the ground, I have plowed, I have sown seed. All of this is mine, so when he gives God some of what he has, he is giving God what he is willing to part with. And so again, it comes back to you and to me. Why do you worship? Why do you come to church? Why do you pray? Is it so that you can get something from God? Because if you are here, and if you do all of these things that we do as people of faith, which is prayer, if you're reading the Bible, if you're giving offering and tithes, if you're coming to church just because you want to get something from God, then your motivation is wrong. If you are doing all of this because of what you can get out of God, your motivation is wrong. Instead, if you are doing all of this because you just want to be open to the presence of God, I guess the question is this. Is being in the presence of God enough? You see, for some of us, yeah, we want to be in the presence of God, but we want God to give us more but the reality of Scripture is, is being in the presence of God enough for Abel? His offering, his way of life was a way of living to show gratitude for what God had given him. He understood 
that everything he has has been given to him, and which is why he gives back to the Lord freely. You know, so many times we, um, we get so caught up on all of the work that we do. I studied hard. I showed up to work early. I worked the extra hours. I worked extra hours and I didn't take overtime. I went way out of my way when my coworkers, where they didn't do that much. I deserve more. I studied harder, so I deserve perfect grades even when I don't get them. I do everything, so it's the sense of if I just work hard enough. But that's not the way it works with God. Our relationship with God is about how, what posture of our heart, the posture of our heart, and how are we coming before the Lord. It's not about how much we give. It's not about the type of offering that we give. It's about what is the condition of our heart when we do give. What is the motivation of our heart for why we do what we do? That's what this story is about. So you can either choose to be like Cain, where you feel like you did it all and you deserve it all, and because you worked hard, you'll only give back a portion to the Lord. Or you can be like Abel, where you understand that everything has been given to you. And you are happy to show the Lord that you trust him. Some of you visiting here are like, man, is he asking for offering? Is that why it's at the end? This story isn't about giving. This story is about where is your heart in relation to God? Why do you do what you do? Why do you come to church? Why do you pray? Why do you read scripture? Is it because you are thankful or is it because you still want something from God? Now the story continues. The first part is about worship. And the second part's going to hit even closer to home. Now the Lord said to Cain, remember Cain was angry, and the Lord says, why are you angry? Why has your countenance or your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is lurking at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. God sees that Cain is angry. Again, we don't exactly know why God had regard for one offering over the other. But what we do know is that Cain became angry. Remember, Cain was the firstborn. He had every right. God was supposed to like him more. His parents were supposed to love him more. He was supposed to be the one that had the place of authority among his siblings. And yet God says, no, for whatever reason, your offering wasn't what I was expecting. Abel's offering was, was the right way to give. So Cain is angry. How many of you have ever been angry? and done something you regretted. Yeah. Because this is our story. You see, the reason that the Bible stories are so powerful is because if you look carefully enough, and if you're open enough, and if you're humble enough, you will find yourself in the characters of Scripture. How many times have you not gotten your way, and you go and you pout in the corner? Men do that a lot. I've never seen women do that very much. But yeah, how often have you felt like you deserve something or God should have acted a certain way and so we get angry with God? We begin to blame other people. Well, the reason it's because that person or this person and we start blaming other people for why we didn't get what we wanted. 
And that's what Cain does. Instead of being humbled, instead of saying, what can I learn from this? He gets mad at God. He begins to blame God. And so the story continues. God, oh, no, the story, yeah, so real quick. <laughs> the story continues, but before we go there, there's a couple of Bible verses I want to look at about anger. Because the central part of this story isn't just about worship, but it's about what happens when people become angry. Now, here's uh, Ephesians chapter 4. It says this, Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity for the devil. Now, it's not necessarily a sin to be angry because it's really hard for us to not get angry sometimes, right? We get angry when we're driving in the freeway. We get angry when people talk bad about us. We get angry with our husbands and our wives. We get angry with our parents. We get angry with our friends. I mean, the anger is kind of a part of all of us, and all of us get angry at certain parts of our lives. I have a sense that some of you were angry this morning, and yet you're sitting here, and there's still that thing in your head where you're like, after church, you know, we're going to talk about it. But for now, there's a ceasefire. And don't pout because we're happy. But you see, anger is just a part of our lives. If, if, you had, if you're a part of our church, you know that we talked about that there is this internal struggle. In the book of Romans, it tells us that there's this internal struggle where with our minds we want to do the will of God, but with our flesh, with the sinful part of us, we oftentimes don't do the will of God. And so here we find this in the very second story of, of the Bible where Cain, is his anger, it's festering and it's growing and it's consuming him. And what we find in Ephesians, it says, be angry. That's okay if you're angry, but don't use that as an excuse to do something bad. Just because you are angry or you have been wronged doesn't mean that you can say whatever you want to say or do whatever you want to do. And I know that's hard because in the moment when we're angry, we tend, I tend to say things. I don't know about you guys. You guys are probably good. But sometimes I tend to say things that I probably shouldn't say. And what happens? You have to pick up the pieces after, right? You have to grovel and you have to say sorry. Because that's what we do. We allow our anger to overtake us. And when we say things, that's when things become sinful. And what we find here in Ephesians, Paul is saying that if you let anger manifest itself too much, if you let it go unchecked, that the devil uses that as an opportunity for you to hurt the people that you love. It's hard to hurt people we don't know. But oftentimes, if you're anything like me, you end up hurting not strangers or not acquaintances, but who do we end up hurting the most? The people we love the most. And so what Scripture is telling us is that even though you're angry, it is no right. It gives you no right to act the way you want to act. In James, it says, Know this, my beloved brothers and sisters. Let every person, and here's kind of an antidote or, a, or an, yeah, like an antidote for this. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Part of how you fight off this anger is you want to be quick to listen to what the other person is saying. Hear why they feel like they have been hurt. Maybe listen to why they are upset or why they are angry. Be quick to listen. And what's the second part? Be slow to, res to speak. 
You don't have to respond right away. You don't have to yell back or argue back. So be quick to listen to the other side. Be slow. Be careful when you do speak. And perhaps if you are able to do those things, anger will be harder to come by. Because being angry isn't a sin. But what you do with that anger is what becomes sinful. And one more verse on that. A fool, an unknowing person, a dumb person, gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise person quietly holds it back. So if you are the kind of person that has... Oh, man, I don't even know how to say this because I don't know any of you well enough to know if you're, like, short-tempered or not. But, um, so I'll just say it. If you are the kind of person that loses their cool quickly, what the proverb says is that you would be better off just being slow with how you respond or how you give full vent. In other words, don't unleash your anger and your fury on people. Be slow with that. Be intentional about how you think through why you are angry. I think so many times our relationships, they kind of falter and they fall and they break because we allow anger to have too much space in our lives. We allow anger to kind of manifest itself and to take hold of us. You see, this is a message for every one of us. This is a message that teaches us that anger, although is a part of our lives, it must not control us. So let's go back to Genesis. Cain said to his brother Abel, let us go out to the field. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and he killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? And he responded, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? You know, the thing about this story, Abel doesn't have any lines in this story. Abel never speaks. All we know is that Abel did all of the right things. Abel did things with the right motivation. And in the end, Abel is the one who loses his life. So it comes back to the motivation. Why do you do what you're doing? If you are doing things because you believe that the better life that you live and the better person that you are, that then God will will always protect you, that God will never let anything bad happen to you. In the very second story of Scripture, we find that Abel did everything right, and yet he still had a fate that was less than desirable. And sometimes in your life, you will do all of the right things, all of the right time, and sometimes things won't work out for you. But it's okay because the reason that we do what we do is because we're living our lives in gratitude for what God has given to us. And the story continues. God comes to, a- to Cain and he says, where is your brother? And he says, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord says, what you have done, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood. When you till the ground, it will no longer yield to it its strength. You will be a fugitive and a wanderer on earth. For Cain, God comes to him and he gives him a chance. 
God, did God have to ask Cain, hey, where is your brother? Probably not. God probably knew what had happened. Isn't this what, for those of you who are parents in this room, isn't this what parents do? You ask your child, is, is there something you want to tell me? And you don't really know if they did something bad, but just the way they're acting, you can kind of sense like, hey, there's something off. So you say, is there something you want to tell me? And what do they usually do? They spill the beans. They usually tell you, kids, don't do this, right? I mean, <laughs> you guys some real talk. <laughs> God's the same way. He doesn't have to ask. He knew God was actually doing something smart. He was coming to Cain because he was giving Cain a chance to repent. He was giving Cain a chance to come clean. But even in this moment, Cain gives an excuse. He says, I'm not my brother's keeper. I'm not my brother's keeper. I don't know where Abel is. And so God says, fine. If you're not willing to repent, fine. Here is your punishment. The very work, the work that you do when you till the ground, it will no longer yield its fruits for you. Not only that, you will be a wanderer. Remember, in, the, in, the old, in, in ancient times, family was all that they had. So the fact that he was cast out of his family said, you will be a wanderer was a punishment far greater than he could handle. And so we're going to be finishing up the story here. Cain says to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Today you have driven me away from the soil, and I shall be hidden from, the face, from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and anyone who meets me may kill me. Now, really quick. He says, Your punishment is greater than I can bear. He says, God, that is way too much for me to be able to handle. But whose fault was it? Was it God's fault that Cain would be a wanderer and driven from his home? No. It was Cain. It was because the motivations of his heart led him to make actions. And sometimes the actions that you do out of anger will sever relationships. Sometimes the motive, what you do with the anger will actually kill off relationships in your life. And sometimes what you do will be painful. And you will be the one that has to bear the consequences of that anger. Which is why we are reminded to be slow to speak and slow to anger. And in God's grace and in God's goodness, as we bring this story to a close, verse 15 says this, Then the Lord said to Cain, Not so. Whoever kills Cain will suffer a sevenfold vengeance. And the Lord put a mark on Cain so that, no one came, so that no one who came upon him would kill him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. What punishment did Cain deserve? Death. Even in our judicial system now, if you murder someone, usually your punishment is what? Either life in prison or some, in some states it's death. God could have wiped out Cain out of existence for what he did. But in God's grace and in God's goodness and in God's wisdom, because it baffles us, he forgives Cain and then he protects him. So now let me ask you, which one of your sins has separated you from God? The answer to that is none. See, this is the gospel. The gospel doesn't just come in the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The good news of God's grace and love and mercy 
is present in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, where God doesn't kill them, but rather he clothes them, he covers their shame, and he protects them. And when their children did even worse than they did, God still covers and protects Cain. This morning, I end this sermon again with the question, why do you do what you do? And my hope and my invitation is that you would do it because you are in awe, wonder, and worship of the God who forgives even the worst of your sins.